Let It Ride podcast. I am Tommy Kaluz, along with my partner in crime, Alex Como. A reminder that our intro music, as always, is brought to you by at the Rays Artistry on Instagram. Why buy trash factory made jewelry when you can have high quality handmade jewelry from at the Rays Artistry on Instagram? Alex, it's good to be back. We've had a little bit of a break, but we are here today to talk KBO baseball, a little last dance, and do our starting five of athletes from the 2000s that we loved, but most people forgot about. Yeah, it'll be exciting. Um, haven't It's been a little while since we uh, were able to put some content out, so I know everybody's chomping at the bit to get us back in their ears, but... We here we are providing for the people. Yeah, I uh, that was really my fault with all the stuff going on with finals for law school. But after multiple days of staying up for 24 to 30 hours, my sleep schedule is finally reset. I feel like a normal human being again and I'm ready to go. Good, man. I'm happy for you. On the on the flip side, my sleep schedule is now completely uh, screwed up because I am working the night shift so i actually just woke up like 30 minutes ago and it's noon so we're in different time zones we live completely different lives and we're still finding a way to do this i'm impressed (laughs) with our resolve that we've shown to this point yeah but our first topic here kbo baseball espn is in the process of broadcasting these games sports are finally back in at least some capacity. And just a quick intro to the KBO, the Korean Baseball League, established in 1982. We've got 10 teams, a reigning champion of the Doosan Bears, a league with a reputation around the world as having some of the most passionate fans, uh, some of the highest drama series and it's something i'm certainly ready to get involved in because like everybody else i am starved for at least some some kind of sports and uh como i think you've sort of picked a team that you're gonna take a stake in i've got my own team and let's just kind of let's talk it out yeah man um i so this completely took me by surprise last week um, I had no idea this was happening. And then all of a sudden, like, I didn't even hear rumors about it. And all of a sudden, I'm just seeing stuff that they're going to be broadcasting a game later later that night. So I was, I was excited to hear the news. I could not have been more excited. It totally, it totally took me by surprise. Um, you know, usually you, like, hear rumors about something first, before, like, a few weeks before it actually happened. So as soon as I heard that, I got excited, man. I love baseball. Um, I love watching it, and obviously the MLB is not going on, so I had to have something to watch. Um, so as soon as I heard that news, I just hopped on Google, started doing my research about this, and I was there's a lot of stuff about it that surprises me. Um, you know, South Korea is not like big country in terms of in terms of area. Like they have a bunch of people; it's really populated, but they have ten teams in this pretty small country. Um, it would be in terms of area, it'd be like the thirty eighth biggest state in in the U.S. So that's basically like Kentucky having ten MLB teams, which is crazy to me. How they're so close and they just bust every game pretty much. Um, but yeah, I I looked at the team, saw they had ten teams, and when I was looking at the team list, I pretty much I didn't want to pick a team based on how good they were or anything like that. So anything about the teams. I just was going down the list. I saw KT Wiz. Um, the name kind of cracked me up because I'm a little immature. And their their logo on their hat was the coolest that I thought in the league. So I just went with them. And then I did some more research about them. Come to find they're an expansion team. Youngest youngest team in the league. Uh, they They just got into the... Their first season was 2015, I believe. They haven't been around too long. They don't have a lot of, they don't have a lot of history. But 
they do have a, a lot of young guys, a young pitching staff, apparently, which has become apparent. Um, last night they had a they had a lead late. They're up three going into the eighth, and they blew it, and they lost an extra innings. Um, I was able to watch the beginning of that game because that was the game that was broadcast on ESPN. But they're they're starting one in five, which I think is what. Uh, which is worse than what people were expecting. So, you know, it's a long season, but things are looking up. They're young. You know, they have this guy, Kang, Kang Beckho. Hopefully I didn't butcher his name, but he's supposed to. I've heard he's the Korean Shohei Otani because apparently he's a pitcher, but also rakes. Um, so hopefully with him, you know, future face of the league and the young pitching staff, they'll be good in years to come, but they're kind of trusting the process right now. So when when I got the news of the KBO takeover on ESPN, I that was in the immediate aftermath of our air raid episode, our interview with Holly Garrett. And I sort of made the decision that I was going to root for the Hanwha Eagles because Eagles, birds, Holly Garrett, birds, I'm all about it. But come to find out here, Alex, the Hanwha Eagles are far and away the worst team in KBO. <laughs> but that that really doesn't drive me away in any way, shape, or form. I am all in on rooting for the lovable losers. The Hanwha Eagles, come to find out, have a reputation of having a fan base that is perfectly willing to stay the entire game regardless of the score. Something that I have a lot of admiration for after my years of attending LSU football games where the fans leave whenever they want to, regardless of what the score is. Uh, if you're up 30, down 30, or anywhere in between, half the time the student section is only half empty by the time you get to the fourth quarter or midway through the third. So I'm loving the dedication of Hanwha Eagle Nation, of which I now consider myself a part, even though I haven't seen a game yet. These games, these games are broadcast primarily at what, one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning half the time? Yes. Uh, so I think kind of what the schedule is kind of corresponding with the MLB schedule, like they'll play night games, like Korea nights in South Korea um, during the first two games of the series. And then the last game of the series will be quote unquote getaway day. Um, so they play early in the afternoon. So uh, when they play at night, South Korea time, it's five thirty Eastern time in the morning um, in the U S. So that'd be four thirty for you, three thirty for me. And then their, their afternoon games, are 11 p.m. for me and midnight for you. So, um, yeah, not not prime time for sure. But like I said, for people like me, um, working nights, 3.30 in the morning is prime time for me. So I was able to catch a little KT Wiz last night. I was actually very excited. And then the vast majority of the population right now, people are up at those times. I mean, maybe not the vast majority, but like people who don't have jobs, people who are – college age or slightly above like us that may be in between jobs right now you're up at that time what 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 are you doing that's better than watching a kbo baseball game nothing i i can't think of much anything yeah but my hanwha eagles my hanwha eagles were two and one and i was getting a little concerned that they could be good because i i was all in on the lovable loser and thankfully, the Hanwha Eagles have run off a four-game losing streak since then. <laughs> they are sitting at two and five. I just I wanted to go back to the good old days. Like what what I remember when I was a kid, the New Orleans Saints were everybody's team. Every everybody in South Mississippi loves the New Orleans Saints. That's a very big New Orleans Saints market, and a lot of people don't necessarily realize that. But back in the day, when I was a kid, 2003, 2004, 2005, when I was first kind of getting into football, those teams were very, very, very bad. 
But I just remember the the feeling of watching those games and being like, hey, I mean, if they win, it's great. And if they lose, who cares? They were supposed to lose anyway. And so I, I'm kind of trying to get back into that a little bit. We've had we've had a lot of success recently in our sort of region sports wise lately. And it's got people's expectations a little high for my taste. I mean, LSU just got a national championship in football. The Saints have been very good for a long time. I would like to get back to a lovable loser. I kind of miss those days. <laughs> Them, they, your, uh, your Eagles almost started to shock the league there, but um, who is actually shocking the league is the um, Lotte, Lot, Lotte, I'm not sure, the Giants. Um, they were the worst team of the league last year, and in ESPN's – you know, preseason power rankings, they were eight. And they just lost for the first time last night. So they're five and one. So, yeah, they're they're off to a hot start. It's really shocking the league. Um, you know, just looking at these power rankings, your Eagles were number 10. Um, in the, they have like a little description, like a little one-liner for every team. And for the Eagles, it says even Warwick Salt. Sopsold, Sopold won't be enough. I'm not sure who that is, but apparently he won't even be enough. So it could be a, a rough season for you. My my Wiz are pre five, but they are off to a terrible start. They're one and five. Um, like I said, blowing a lot of games late. So it sounds like they have some issues with the bullpen. I guess I just like picking teams that have a bad bullpen because the Colorado Rockies have a historically terrible pitching staff. So it could just be like watching the Rockies on the South Korea version. Um, but we'll see if they make the playoffs. Well, and then for us, this is an entire – the stakes are entirely different for us because we are, again, part owners of the Atlanta Braves. We purchased that one share of stock a couple of weeks ago and we bought it for $18. It's already up to 24. I checked it yesterday. We're up to $24. So we could be looking to expand our ownership stake and we already have voting rights. So whenever decisions need to be made, as far as, you know, that back end of the roster, I think that KBO is somewhere that we need to look for guys that could provide that sort of value. And the, I mean, I, you know, this could heavily influence my decision at board meetings to come once we get our ownership stake into a position where we can be somewhat relevant. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, with the new season with that, I heard, uh, I heard, with MLB, the owners uh, approved the proposal, but I was a little upset because I never got a copy of it. Yeah, yeah. I I need to I need to sign up for the email list. I need to get on that. Um, I I got to figure out exactly how to access our voting rights. I know that we have a vote, but I just don't know how to vote. <laughs> so if you if you can vote, but you don't know how to vote, you can't really vote. Right at the end of the day. That's why it's so important for us as Americans to spread awareness as to how to register to vote, because that right, although enumerated, you lose it if you don't know how to exercise it. You know what I think is the most interesting part of KBO? Um, Obviously, you know, everybody talks about the bat flips and how it's not a disrespectful thing in South Korea. It's a whole different culture. Um, But... There's a couple things that really stick out. One, the fans get super into it. I know you talked about that, but like they have all these organized chants. And last night I was watching the game and uh, the NC Dinos had some, I guess it was a cheerleader there with a whistle. And that would be like, that would be so, so frowned upon in the MLB. Somebody was blowing a whistle as some guy's in his windup. Um, so it's just pretty much a completely different culture of baseball, which is which is cool, a nice change up from from the MLB. But the playoffs are actually, I actually I I think I hate the playoff system, but it's definitely different. We'll go into that a little bit. Uh, I forgot exactly how that works. Yeah, so ten teams in the league, five teams make the playoffs. So half the league makes the playoffs. Um, but 
if you're the one seed, so if you're the best team in the league in the regular season, the one seed, you get a bye all the way through to the Korea series. Um, Jesus. Yeah, which is the basically the World Series um, for this league. So, yeah, the one seed gets a bye all the way to the Korean series. And then the four and five seed play each other. Best of, best of three series. So, first the two games wins. And the four seed starts with one win. So, uh, distinct advantage to the ones, the four seed. The five seed has to go two and zero oh to win. So the winner of that, which is always the four seed, goes on to play the three seed, and they play in a best of five. And then the winner of that goes on to play the two seed, and they play in a best of five. And the winner of that goes on to play the one seed in the Korean series. So it's like a ladder, I guess, or like a tier system. You just kind of you have to like go through the bosses, basically. Um, but yeah, from my research, this, this playoff system started in 2014, I believe, and the five seed has never won uh, a series against the four seed. And I was honestly surprised, you know, I thought getting that buy straight to the Korean series is such an advantage because you guys, you get time to rest your arms. You got guys banged up, you, you get them rested, but you know, the one seed wins a fair amount, but there is also a lot of two seeds and some three seeds sprinkled in there. Um, I don't think I've seen a four seed win yet, but yeah, I, I don't really know how I feel about this system. It's, it doesn't, it's not really a tournament. It's kind of just, it's funky. And I think they could definitely make it a lot better, but you know, that's their league and they want to stick with it. So I guess we're just going to have to ride with it. Yeah. For, for the one seed, it's the age old question of rest versus rust. Combo. Right. I mean, I, I don't know exactly how long that break is, but boy, could I see these guys getting rusty if it's long enough? Yeah, that's very true. Actually. I mean, I've, I thought about that as well. Um, I think I heard Eduardo Perez and Carl Ravage talking about it. It could get up to like three weeks, you know, if some if these series go long. So you're just sitting on your butt for three weeks. You could definitely get very rusty. So, yeah, it's 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 kind of a broken system, but it's unique. And I think that's kind of what they're going for. Hey, NC Dinos, I'm looking at it, had a walk-off home run the other night. On really? ESPN. Nice. Yeah. How about that? I mean, just why wouldn't you stay up for some KBO action on ESPN? I don't yeah. know why you wouldn't. I think that might have been last night, actually, against the Wiz, because the Wiz got walked off by the NC Dinos. I don't know if it was a home run, but, yeah, the Wiz were up 6-3 six, six, going into the eighth inning, and they lost 7-6, so need some better. The most Colorado, the most Colorado Rockies thing they possibly could have <laughs> Dude, I could talk. We could have a whole episode about me uh, griping about the Rockies, but well, that'll be for a different day. If fortune should have it that the MLB actually comes back, we will have an entire episode where you get to gripe about the Rockies. <laughs> I can't wait. I cannot wait. Now, I guess, would be a good time to switch over to our first ever starting five segment. Whenever we do this, Alex and I are each going to pick five of a movie, athlete, you know, TV show, whatever the topic may be, we are each going to sort of fantasy style draft our own starting fives. Our topic for today is athletes from the early to mid 2000s that we loved in our youth, but society kind of forgot about. And it's something that's relatable to people who aren't even necessarily in our age group. And I suppose that it's going to tend to be guys who had very high peaks and then very low lows or just very short periods of being really good. But I love my five, Alex, I'm ready to hear yours. I guess now would be a good time to sort of dig into it. Um, we'll do it fantasy style. We'll do it snake draft style. So whoever goes first um, or whoever goes second gets to go back to back. So Alex, would you like to go first or second? I'll go first. Um, you know, go ahead. First pick in the draft. Uh, so yeah, I, this first one, I'm not sure. I feel like you could nix it because I don't know if they're still kind of relevant, or they were at least in the last couple of years. So I don't know if you've forgotten about them. Um, but I just needed to have them first on my list because 
they were my childhood hero, basically, and still pretty much my favorite athlete of all time. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. Um, but yeah, I'll just go right into it. My number one pick, Colorado Rockies legend, my childhood hero, multiple time all-star, don't know, but his name is Troy Tulowitzki. Excellent player. And he qualifies. I'll let him, I'll let you have that. Okay. Okay. I mean, yeah, I wasn't sure if he would qualify just because he was, he just retired last year. Actually, he played like four games for the Yankees. Um, yeah, he, uh, he was my childhood hero, man. He, um, I guess just to get into it a little bit, I was not into baseball at all growing up. I was into hockey. My brothers and I played hockey. Um, the Avalanche were like really good in the early 2000s. So Colorado had hockey fever um, and the Rockies were terrible. So nobody cared about the Rockies. So yeah, I was into hockey and all the way up until fourth grade, I was playing hockey during the summers and then between third and fourth grade, my friends played baseball. And I, I mean, I didn't really think anything of it, but they were all on the same team. My friend's dad was the coach, you know, classic. And uh, then school started back up in fourth grade. And all they would talk about was how much fun they had playing baseball and how all, they had all these baseball inside jokes and all these stories. And I was super left out, man. Um, I was just playing hockey with a bunch of random city kids. And I didn't have any any friends at school on my team. So I felt left out. And then come to find out that year was the first year my school was having a fourth grade baseball team. So, of course, all my friends were playing. So I was like, you know what? I'm not going to be left out this time. Baseball. And up till that point, I really only had experience playing catch with my dad. Um, so then I wasn't into really baseball at all. But I thought I'd give it a shot. And then I ended up loving it. Um and just so happened that year was 2007, Tulo's rookie year in the year that the Rockies had that miracle run, um, winning 20 of 21 games all the way to the World Series where they promptly got absolutely swept by the Boston Red Sox. But, um, you know, it was just – it was a lot of fun. It was the first time Denver and Colorado had really gotten into the Rockies in my lifetime at least. And so I just had – Rockies fever and rookie. I was in the sense a rookie. He played shortstop. I played shortstop and he was a beast and he should have won rookie of the year. He got robbed. But um, since then, I just love Tulo. I always wanted to be, he was, he was basically my Jeter. Uh, you know, he wore number two cause he loved Derek Jeter. I, I wore number two cause I love Tulo. So um, I just kind of always wanted to be like him. And yeah, when the Rockies traded him in 2015, although I was 18 years old, by that time I was crushed. Um, I, I it was the summer going into college, and uh, it was like a random weeknight in June, and I got the news that they traded Tulo, and I could not have been more upset. And uh, especially because they traded him for nothing, basically, and that trade did not work out for either party. But yeah. Troy Tulowitzki, my number one athlete I loved as a child in the early to mid-2000s and somebody that a lot of people forgot about just because his career really got derailed by the injury bug. I just, you know, I, I really appreciate you, you know, taking the time and, and finding a way to keep yourself from choking up and talk about something like that that was so dramatic for you. It was, um, man. Really, the big reason that he qualifies for me is that, and I hate to say it, it's that he played for the Rockies, you know? Yeah. I feel like people who play for the Rockies are sort of in a position where they're more prone to being forgot about under our parameters. And yeah. as a result, Tulo definitely qualifies because I don't really hear anybody talk about him ever now. Yeah, the Rockies get no respect. Um any any guy who's good on offense just gets written off because of Coors Field, and we don't have any good pitchers. So the Rockies get absolute respect. And then anybody who's good on defense just wants to get traded, like <laughs> Mr. Arnato. So yeah, there's really there's really no victories there for the Rockies. But my <laughs> my first pick, one of my favorite athletes of all time, and 
what's interesting is that a challenge for me here was picking only one athlete from the early to mid 2000s Kansas City Chiefs. Somehow that became a challenge for me because I, I was looking at these. Those teams had Dante Hall, prime candidate for my list, maybe the greatest kick returner of all time. Trent Green, throwback quarterback. Dude was a lot better than people give him credit for. Tony Gonzalez, people sometimes kind of forget about a little bit, but he was too good to make my list. And Eddie Kennison was really good. LSU player stud. Um, but I ultimately decided on Mr. Priest Holmes, mm. one of the great running backs in the history of the beautiful game of football. People forget that in consecutive seasons, 04 and then 05, I believe, if memory serves me right, maybe 03, 04, but Priest Holmes in consecutive seasons had 21 touchdowns on the ground and then 27 touchdowns on the ground. And, I mean, the dude was one of the greatest players of his time. Again, a very short peak. I mean, really only had like a three-year peak. But I'm looking at it right now. 2002 and then 2003 had 21 touchdowns and then 27 touchdowns. It's outrageous. (laughs) And um, greatest, one of the great video game characters of all time, Priest Holmes in ESPN NFL 2K5. One of the great video game characters of all time. Unstoppable. Yeah, um, my video game experience was actually different with him. Um, I never used him. I was on the other end because I was always the Broncos, obviously. And I played Madden. (laughs) And... Priest Holmes would always tear me up, and yeah, Priest Priest Holmes is a dog. I actually that's that's a great one because you started talking about early two thousands Chiefs. I Priest Holmes did not cross my mind, and then you said his name, and I was like, oh my god, how could I forget? Madden two thousand five, Priest Holmes going off. Dude was so good, and NFL Street. He was really good in NFL Street too, <laughs> which one of the great games ever made. That that game itself should have made our list. People forget about that game. That was a great, great, great game. Well, I um, think we have an idea for our next starting five, man. That's hey, I Video think we games. got it. Yeah. But I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go back to back and I'm gonna scoop up my baseball guy before you get the opportunity. Um I it's hard for me to pick a baseball guy because I'm really not a huge baseball fan, but this guy, you don't have to be a baseball fan to love Don Trell Willis. D train. Yeah. One of the, one of the great athletes of all time had the one, he had one good season, one good year. He had, he went 22 and 10. He had like a two, six ERA, I think. And, uh, Whatever year it was, it just happened to be the first year that I bought a baseball video game, and I used Dontrell Willis in that game every single chance that I got. He won a World Series his rookie year, had that little three-year run, like 03 to 05, and sort of fell off the face of the earth. But I'm, I'm looking at 2005, 22-10, 2-6 ERA, Seven complete games, five complete game shutouts, runner-up for the Cy Young Award. Nobody, nobody today is pitching seven complete games in a season. There's no way. There's no way. D-Train was one of the last of a dying breed. Crazy wind-up and delivery. If you haven't seen it, you need to look it up incredible incredible athlete i miss him dearly and i saw him on like fox sports or espn or something the other day he was some kind of analyst but stud yeah Dontrell willis was a dog dude i <laughs> i i remember his freaky delivery um dude would kick the third deck with his right foot because he was left-handed he would kick his kick his right leg so high up i thought his pants were gonna split in half uh, but yeah, he was a, he, he was a goat for sure. Oh, dude. Unbelievable. 
I think it was maybe that was maybe like MLB 2K5 I was playing back in the day, but D Train was D Train was you could not get a hit off of D Train. <laughs> yeah. And he's on Fox Sports. He's on Fox MLB. I'm looking nice. at it. Nice. Um, he's criticizing Josh Hader's delivery. Yeah, I'm I'm sure he's got room to be criticizing deliveries. Old <laughs> Interesting thing for him to be criticizing, considering his his delivery. Uh, but I'm gonna stick on the uh, I'm gonna stick on the video game uh, grind here, and I'm gonna bring this guy up because I I vaguely remember him as a player uh, on the New England Patriots, and I I don't like the Patriots at all. But for some reason, I love this guy. Uh, funny we're fantasy drafting because I would in Madden 05 I would be the Broncos and then just fantasy draft but uh, my guy that I would always get no matter what wide receiver Dion Branch stud yeah he was a beast and he was a beast in the game I think I, I don't know um, the only only receivers I had to get were Dion Branch and Keyshawn Johnson kind of an interesting one two punch uh, but, um, yeah, they just, they he was my guy and I, I mean, I don't like the Patriots at all, so I'm not really sure why I liked him so much, but Dion Branch was my guy, especially in Madden. He, uh, he definitely won a Super Bowl MVP. I think really? it was 2004, the year that they beat the Eagles. Um, he definitely won a Super Bowl MVP. I'm looking at his numbers right now. He never had a thousand yard receiving season. Wow. Played in the NFL for 12 years, never had a thousand yards receiving. He had 998 in 2005. <laughs> but yeah, he what? Yeah, I'm looking at it. He won the Super Bowl. He won Super Bowl MVP 2004, the year that they played uh, the Eagles. And one of those, one of those classic random Super Bowl MVPs. Just somebody who won the Super Bowl MVP, and you look back at it, and you're like, wow, how did that guy win a Super Bowl MVP? <laughs> I had no idea, actually. Um, <laughs> that makes it even better. He was a Super Bowl MVP, and I had no idea. I just thought he was kind of like a role player on the Patriots, but here we are. Super Bowl MVP, Deion Branch. Let's go. There we go. And he had 902 fantasy points in his career. Fun fact. Wow. All right. You go back-to-back, back, Alex. Um, you, got, you got another one. Okay. Um. So, yeah, this next guy, I know for a fact you're going to have absolutely no idea who he is. And 99.9% .9 of our listeners aren't going to know who he is. I don't think even my our Colorado listeners will know. But he's a guy who was a hero for the Avalanche in the early 2000s. Not necessarily the stud. He was kind of a role player, but he played a big role in game of the 2001 Stanley Cup to clinch it for the Avalanche. He scored two goals. They won 3-1. to one, And his name is Alex Tangay. He is my guy because that is one of my earliest memories I have of watching the Avalanche is them winning the Stanley Cup. I was almost five, so it's a pretty foggy memory, but I remember him scoring two goals, and I fell in love with the guy because his name is Alex my name is Alex. He was a hero in game seven. And yeah, he uh, he ended up having, after that game, he ended up having a pretty decent career, a really long career. Um, he ended up having a second stint with the Avalanche in the mid-2010s. But uh, he's definitely not a guy who is a household name, but he was a game seven hero, which well, you'll never, you'll never live down. So he's uh, number three for me. That's a guy that I feel like it's at least reasonably possible that we could get him on the podcast. <laughs> no way. <laughs> it's possible. Come on. There's got to be some kind of way to reach out to Alex Tangay and get him, get him on. I mean, just, there's got to be a way. Just because he's relatively unknown doesn't take away from the fact that he's a NHL veteran, retired NHL player who probably doesn't have time to talk to two scrubs like us about hockey hey i didn't think that an ornithologist from the villanova school of natural sciences was going to have time to talk to us but <laughs> holly garrett 
had time to talk to us and we had a great time. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I'm going to look into it. Research. I'm going to figure it out. If we got Joe Burrow's personal photographer on here, we can get Alex Tangay on here. Okay. I'll find a way. All right. My next pick, and I think I go back to back, right? Yeah. Okay. My next pick, again, going to the AFC West, uh, Mr. Sean Merriman. Mm. People very often forget about Sean Merriman, but the man was an absolute unit. He had 17 sacks in 2006 on that unbelievable 14 and 2 San Diego Chargers team with Ladanian Tomlinson, Philip Rivers, Luis Castillo, Quentin Jammer, Vincent Jackson, Darren Sproles, Michael Turner, Lorenzo Neal. Um, awesome, awesome team. And maybe the greatest star of them all that year was Sean Merriman and unstoppable for maybe three years, a very common theme with guys on my list and sort of just fell off the face of the earth. But that one year, 2006 really sticks out in my mind is like the year that I really first got into football. Um, that was saints first season with Sean Payton and Drew Brees and, it was just it was a it was a great year for me. It was a great year for football. I loved it. Sean Merriman was a superstar. I miss him greatly. Let's get him on the podcast with Alex Tangay. Um, maybe we can make that happen. Uh, but then my next guy, um, I feel like there's there's probably you're probably not going to know who he was. A lot of people probably won't know who he was. Um, but just one of those super obscure guys that played with LeBron in the early 2000s to the mid-2000s, a Mr. Daniel Booby Gibson. No idea. No clue at all. Okay, not a stud. He actually really wasn't necessarily that good. But uh, 6'1", 6'2", point guard, kind of undersized, a little bit of a runt, but... He could shoot the lights out when he was hot, and he could clank some bricks when he got cold. But he he had a few really, really big shots in that Piston series where the Cavs uh, got to the finals for the first time and then got swept by the Spurs. He had a few big shots in that series, and then he made like 4 or $5 million a year for the next four years, back when that was a lot of money. And uh, sort of in the mold of his colleague, Damon Jones, Booby Miles, uh, not Booby Miles, Booby Gibson was one of the, (laughs) Booby Gibson was one of the most overpaid players in the league for probably three years. But I mean, hey, he did it, man. I give him all the credit in the world. A lot of credit to a guy who had his opportunity. He took it and, uh, you know, he was paid handsomely for quite some time as a result of a very short period of quality play. Um, but one, I enjoyed him. I was a very big Booby Gibson fan back in the day just because he was undersized. He was somebody you could always root for. And uh, where have you gone, Booby Gibson? I ask myself that question very often. Here's a, here's a quick sidebar. Um, where, where does the nickname Booby come from? You know, Booby Miles. Booby Gibson, Booby Whitlow. Uh, I've never really understood how that starts. Do you know? I really have no clue. I would imagine that it. I would imagine that it uh, sort of rain. It varies for each guy. I feel like maybe Booby Gibson was called Booby Gibson as a result of Booby Miles. Maybe. maybe. I don't know. Like maybe somehow that that ties in. We'll um, have to get. We'll have to get Booby Gibson on the podcast with Alex Tangay and Sean Merriman, <laughs> and we'll ask him. Booby Gibson is a rapper now. Really? I'm looking at Daniel Gibson has a budding rap career. Interesting. It's like Damian Lillard. Good for him. Good for him. He's only 34. Hey. Wow. You do your thing, Booby Gibson. I'm. I'm. Hey. I'm all in. Yeah. I'm gonna have to look up the. Uh, I'm going to have to look up an album or something. Maybe that'll be our new intro. Oh, yeah. There you go. Um, 
my next guy, baseball player, and I it it's relevant today actually. Um, but I don't know if you're gonna know him. His name is Byung Hyun Kim. He okay. is. I've heard the name. I've heard the name. Yeah, it, it ties in nicely because he's South Korean and he played in the KBO after his very long, uh, well, not that long, but after his uh, MLB career, he went over back home and played in the KBO. He played for the Nexon Heroes and the Kia Tigers. But um, Byung Hyun Kim is a guy who was good early in his career and then really fell off. Um, he. Won a World Series with the Diamondbacks in 2001. However, he was their closer, and he had a terrible World Series. Um, I don't remember the World Series at all, but I was looking up Byung Kyun, and uh, I was kind of reading up on him, and he had at least two, maybe three blown saves in the World Series against the Yankees in 2001. Um, but luckily for him, Luis Gonzalez hit a bloop single walk-off off the great Mariano Rivera to win the game. It's actually a pretty cool video if you want to look it up. Uh, but anyways, Byung Hyun Kim, he had a brief stint with the Rockies um, 2005 to 2007. And the reason I liked him so much was because as I talked about when I was talking about with Tulo, I, I wasn't into baseball at all, but I would still go to Rockies games with my family um, every now and then early on and so it was probably either 2005 or 2006 when I still wasn't really into baseball went to the Rockies game with my family and Byung Hyun Kim happened to be pitching for the Rockies and similar to Dontrell Willis he has a pretty he has a unique delivery um I don't want to really say it's sidearm but it's or sorry submarine it's not submarine but it's kind of sidearm um he basically makes like a 90 degree angle with his arm like, his arm is straight out from his body when he throws, which is pretty unique. Uh, I had never seen anything like it before when I went to that game. So it was just mesmerizing to me. Like, I was just used to seeing these guys throw it overhand every time. And this guy comes throwing it off from the side of his body. So after that, for, like, the next year, anytime I'd play catch, I would just throw sidearm like him. And my dad would always be like, stop, you're going to hurt your arm. And I wouldn't care. I just wanted to throw, like, Byung Hyun Kim. Um... So I guess you could say Byung Hyun Kim was my first kind of introduction to being invested in baseball and some of my the first baseball player that actually had some sort of life. Um, he was not that great for the Rockies. He, like most pitchers who have to pitch in Denver, he didn't do well. But, you know, he was a guy that I obviously looked up to and kind of kind of planted the baseball seed into my head. And uh, and Tulo just kind of cultivated it, but yeah, Byung Hyun Kim, I always kind of looked up to him. I ended up getting MVP baseball two thousand three, and he was the closer on the Diamondbacks. And when I fig- found that out, I would just instantly put him on the Rockies because I I love the guy, and he he was actually good in that game. But um, yeah, Byung Hyun Kim. Side note: It just it I think about it now. What's funny is that hitters in Colorado always get you know just absolutely berated for playing in that altitude but pitchers who pitch for the rockies never get any credit for pitching in that altitude dude i that's i'm glad you brought that up because that's such a big beef of mine it's such a double standard man you have a guy at course field will hit 300 or whatever 40 home runs and they'll be like oh well he plays 81 games in denver and then you'll have a pitcher like 2018 Kyle Freeland was a dog. He ended up third or fourth in Cy Young voting. And not once did it ever come up. Oh, and on top of this, he pitches most of his games in Coors Field. Like, people just want to bring it up to bring somebody down. They don't want to bring it up to to, to put somebody up, which I think is the, the doublest of double standards in today's sport. Yeah. I, I don't like it. But you have one more. Okay. Sorry, I was getting riled up. Um, that's okay. I didn't mean to get you all hot. <laughs> like I said, man, we can have a three-hour episode of me going on about the Rockies. Uh, my number five, also Denver sports legend, recently found out that he is the head coach of the boys' varsity basketball team at Douglas County High School, which is in Colorado. I drive by it every day. Um, he had a brief stint with the Nuggets. He was in the league for a very long time. 
and he's unique because he is five feet five inches and he played in the NBA. His name is Earl Boykins. Absolute freak. <laughs> yeah. Basically, Earl Boykins, I loved him just because he was so short and he was on the Nuggets and it was funny to watch him out there because he was so small. Um, I think I was 5'5 five, five in like sixth grade. And somehow, I'm, I still don't understand how somebody who's 5'5 five, five makes it in the NBA. He's the second shortest NBA player behind Muggsy Bugs. Muggsy Bugs was 5'3. Um, but anyways, he uh, another reason why I liked him so much because you know I guess all of mine, pretty much all of mine, tie into video games. Uh, he, uh, I had NBA Live 04, Vince Carter on the cover, great game. Um, it was, that game was LeBron, Melo, D Wade, all those guys rookie years, and uh, they had a game mode where you could play one on one, and I would be I would play one on one as Earl Boykins, and I would play Yao Ming. <laughs> And uh, I didn't win very often because Yao would just dunk on me and I would get swatted probably four times a game. But it was fun. It was a really interesting, fun challenge. And uh, I loved Earl Boykins for that. Well, the thing about that matchup is I feel like the problems are just as bad on both ends of that operation. Like, I don't see how you get a shot over Yao Ming and I don't see how you can test one of Yao Ming's shots. <laughs> There's just no like, way. I can't imagine that you ever were able to pull off a victory in that setting. I, I did rarely. One of the one of the most broken things about that game was the crossover. The crossover was just overpowered. Um, so I would just cross him up a lot and be, just beat him to the basket and shoot a layup. But most of the time, you know, the crossover didn't work. But, um, yeah, it was fun. It was, it was a fun challenge, and I liked Earl Boykins. Somehow this conversation morphed into more of a video game conversation than anything, because <laughs> I had a lot of that on my end, too. But my last guy, uh, very near and dear to my heart, uh, a one of the truly great players in the history of the NBA, will probably not make the Hall of Fame, but he's a Hall of Famer in my book, Mr. Peja Stoyakovic. Truly, truly, truly a legend of the game of basketball. And the reason that I had so much affection for Peja back in the day, um, you know, when I was younger, I was very often made fun of for elements of my Eastern European appearance being my sunken in eyes and my big nose. But there was a guy who was killing it in the NBA when I was a kid with sunken in eyes and a big nose by the name of Peja Stoyakovich, and I absolutely adored him. 93% from the free throw line in 2003-2004, 24 a game, uh, six rebounds, a paltry two assists per game, but uh, shot 43% from three all the way back in 2003-2004 unheard of at the time not very many guys were shooting at that kind of a clip a career 40 percent three-point shooter um and had one of the most steady meticulous declines in the history of the nba 24 a game 20 a game 18 a game 16 a game 13 12 <laughs> and then eight and he retired good God. so from 2003 to 2011 <laughs> 24, 20, 18, 16, 13, 12, 8. That that's, is that's perfect. Just talk about <laughs> yeah. like a graceful, graceful exit from the NBA. If you were to plot that, it. that would be about as linear of a downward slope <laughs> as you could get. I mean, that is about as straight as lines get. That's and good though. Just, at least we I know he wasn't it. juicing or anything like that, you know, like Somebody who just all of a sudden at the end of his career has this crazy spike. At least we yeah. know he was he was he was he was all natural. And then he won. He did finally win the championship with Dallas, and he left. So really, he was uh, on the Mavs. People forget he was on that Mavs team. He was on that Mavs team that beat uh, the Heat. They traded for him uh, in the middle of the year. Wow, I had no idea. I just remember him on the honestly, just remember him on the New Orleans Hornets. I cried for probably a couple hours getting to see Peja experience that level of joy. 
Wow. Um, it just, it meant a lot to me. I know it meant a lot to him. <laughs> and uh, I just, it brings tears to my eyes. Okay. Peja Stojakovic, one of the great Croatian players of all time, right up there with Tony Kukoc, Drazen Petrovic, Tommy Kaluz. Um, just a long <laughs> history of very, very great Croatian athletes. Overall, I think pretty solid starting five for both of us. I think it's a great pool. And the conversation, again, I was surprised how it sort of just kind of turned into video games from the early 2000s that we enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, that's I guess that was my whole exposure to athletes outside of the Colorado sports community. Obviously, uh, I need to, to watch more sports and stop playing mad. But that could be another starting five, man. Yeah. And then uh, I think our next guest here pretty soon is going to be a guy from the late 2010s or the mid 2010s <laughs> that nobody forgot about. A young man by the name of Keith Hornsby, who we both had the good fortune of working for. Uh, I've received a verbal commitment from Keith to come on at some point, and I'm greatly looking forward to that. Yeah, I haven't talked to Keith since... 2016 last time he was on LSU so it's been a hot minute since uh was able to talk to him but be excited to catch up a little bit with uh with old Keith yeah he um the thing about Keith Hornsby is that day to day just in a normal everyday conversation Keith sounds like he's doing an interview <laughs> just <laughs> when he's talking he sounds like he's scripted very true he's a well-spoken just, guy I'll, though Oh, I love that guy. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's got that background, you know, I mean, his dad was famous and everything, and he's got a lot of famous people in his family. So he's, I'm sure he's had media training going back to when he was three or four years old. So for those, uh, for those who aren't unaware, Keith's dad, Bruce Horns, it's a famous musician. Um, probably most famous for having Tupac use one of his songs in Tupac's song changes. Um, if you know that Tupac song, then that song originally came from Bruce Hornsby, Keith's dad. So, uh, pretty interesting family for sure. Yeah. And in his time at LSU, the announcers were sure to remind everyone <laughs> of who his dad was every single chance that they got. Yeah. I'm sure that's a topic that will hit. It was for a little while there, it was every announcer would remind people that Keith's dad was Bruce Hornsby. And whenever you watched LSU baseball, all the announcers would talk about was how Kramer Robertson's mom was Kim Mulkey. Yep. I was about to say the same thing. And I get the media just gets fixated on those storylines. Like every LSU football game this year is about how Joe Burrow's dad was a defensive coordinator at Ohio university retired, blah, blah, blah. So just get tired of hearing about it, man. And I'm sure Keith is tired of talking about it, but I'm probably just going to have to be part of the problem anyways. Hey, he's had a nice break from talking about that for a long time. I would imagine. I but doubt it. He, yeah, he's, I mean, he's, he's been overseas for a little while. He's, he's been, I know he had a stop in Poland. He, uh, he was doing well there for the Mavs G league. I'm sure he's a very close personal friend of the cube. Me and but, the cubes. Yeah. Keith and the cubes, I'm sure, are very tight. Um, that's something we might get into. But I'm I'm excited about that. And uh Keith Hornsby, one of the few people that I know that in their life met Michael Jordan. Really? So, he met Michael Jordan? Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, he's he put a picture he put a picture up the other day. He's probably like three or four years old, and he's uh, he's on his dad's shoulders, and they're talking to Michael Jordan. Wow, that's so, sweet, dude. I had no idea. And Marshall Graves, former LSU basketball walk-on, had a very interesting experience with Michael Jordan in the Bahamas. Uh, played a pickup game against him. Really? In Bahamas, yeah. That uh, that was on after further review the other day with Matt Moscona. They had Marshall on to uh, have him tell that story. I feel like I may have tangentially heard that story from Marshall before, but not in that kind of detail. And uh, it's, I mean, it is remarkable. It is a really, really awesome story. 
We might um, have to get Marshall on here to talk about it. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure he's he's done probably three or four of those appearances, but I I could try to get in touch with Marsh and uh, have him talk about it with us. But uh, he he was in the Bahamas just playing on some random court uh, at a resort in the Bahamas, and he said Jordan just pulled up on a golf cart and started playing with him. Uh, they played, I think they played uh, Kings of the Court with another guy or something like that. Really, really awesome story. You should check it out on After Further Review with Moscona. Um, I think it was maybe like a week ago they put that up. But and Marshall, Marshall actually won too. That's that's the absolute. That is the precipice of the story. The fact wow. that Marshall actually beat him. That's something that you tell literally everybody you know for the rest of your life. Oh, by the way, I played basketball with Michael Jordan and I beat him. And this this is a good opportunity to kind of talk about something that I've been thinking about watching The Last Dance. But think about the burden on Michael Jordan's shoulders where, you know, you are the most famous person in the entire world. And anyone that you come across on a day-to-day basis, any human being that you come into contact with, if you stop and you sign something for them or you talk to them for a second, they will tell that story to every human being they meet for the rest of their lives. Yeah, That will be the most important moment of their entire life. And yep. it's like you have this incredible power to influence people in that way. But at the same time, you don't have any obligation to give somebody that. So, you know, if you did that for literally every person you came across in your entire life, you would never have time to do anything else. Right. That's like me and Shaq. I I met Shaq that one time at the facility outside of his statue, which is cool. I met Shaq 100 feet away from a Shaq statue. Um, But obviously Shaq doesn't remember me at all. It was like a two second interaction but i tell everybody i know i met Shaq, and he will not tell anybody he met alex so yeah but it's just it's amazing you know that you think about the kind of influence those people have and like the the way that they can sort of you know create that moment for you out of thin air and but at the same time they don't have to do that and people you know People just think like, oh, it's it's just such a small thing. But I mean, you do such a small thing like that for 50 million people. Right. And it's a big burden, you know. Yeah, it's like but, uh, that episode, Last Dance, when he was playing the minors, they had to put him in double A because their single A facilities couldn't handle the the, the capacity or the, all, all the media and all the people coming to the games just to see him, you know. Right. And that's, and that's another reason that people need to give – some sort of credit to his stats even though they're not that impressive his stats in minor league baseball are a little more impressive when you consider that he was forced into double a when he wasn't ready solely because the media influence right yeah not what they say hadn't played baseball in 14 years he was 17 last time he played baseball coming off of two nba or three nba championships goes immediately to double a and Hit 200, which, I mean, any normal person in the double-A hitting 200 probably not going to see the show, but given the circumstances, I think that's that's pretty impressive. And then I saw recently that in the fall league after that, he hit 268. Wow. So, I mean, he was he was maybe on his way. And, you know, it sort of it, – it gives a little bit of context into why people insist in hindsight that if he would have stuck with it, for a while he would have eventually made it up but yeah that would have been that would have been cool to see him in the majors he obviously had another distinct disadvantage the fact that he he was a 31 year old rookie um but it it would have been cool to see michael jordan in the in the in the majors um i wish i could have could have gone to a game or something but i wish i could have seen him play basketball i obviously never got that chance but to be able to go to a, see Michael Jordan live would have been cool. I've still have never seen LeBron live, so and I never saw Kobe live either, man. So I, I'm really I'm slacking. Somebody's gonna have to fact check me on this, and I feel like I'm right, but I also could be wrong. 
I think the double A affiliate of the Chicago White Sox is in the Southern League with the Biloxi Shuckers. Ooh. So it's if if this were to take place today, like if LeBron were to all of a sudden decide to play baseball for the double A affiliate of the White Sox, I believe that Jordan would have played some games in Biloxi. Wow. Were the were the Shuckers around back in the nineties? No, they were not. Their oh, okay. first season was 2015. Oh, I didn't realize they were that new. Yeah. Oh, dude, very recent. A a shining light. A the the Biloxi Shuckers, their stadium, everything, the whole environment is a true testament to how far that community has come since Hurricane Katrina, because we had nothing like that before, and we've got it now. It's it's amazing. It's wonderful. I need to get my way to a Shuckers game. No, you're gonna days. have to. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to record a podcast at a shop. <laughs> I'm down, man. Just give me the word. When the, when we pick yeah, back I, up, I'm coming to Biloxi. I'm all about it. But anyway, uh, great episode. I enjoyed it. Uh, good conversation. I'm looking forward to having Keith on at some point. We've got a couple of other guests in the works. We will keep you posted on that. But we hope you enjoyed our very first starting five of athletes from the 2000s that we loved and the vast majority of people forgot about. We will see you next time here on the Let It Ride podcast. Love you, Mom.